Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Tavi, CEO and co-founder of Dashboard, a next-generation monitoring platform for modern cloud environments. How are you doing today, Tavi? Good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great too. And it's uh, it's great to have you on. I, I know that Dashboard has been floated around the serverless community for a long time now. How's everything going with that? How's, how's Dashboard? How are you doing? Yeah, we're, we're good. It's a super exciting time for us. Uh, and I think for everyone in the serverless market, I think the, you know, there's kind of the, we feel like it's the inflection point in the market where everybody is starting to use serverless in a more um, kind of profound way, in a more mature way. And, uh, and yeah, we're learning a lot of things about the market and, you know, trying to evolve the company around, around the market. So it's a really interesting time for us. Uh, when you say that, when we're kind of at this inflection point in the serverless market, uh, what have you been seeing that has kind of given you the kind of this road signs saying that, you know, now is the time where people are really taking serverless seriously? I think there's two things. Uh, first is that the kind of the life cycle is in a phase where, you know, I think the people who started building on serverless a couple of years ago are actually, you know, beginning to see uh, adoption and kind of more usage and the roadblocks are slowly being removed from serverless. Like it's kind of production ready, so you can overcome like challenges around cold starts, around tooling, around operational practices. Um, so I think that's a lot of work uh, from the AWS side and also from the community and kind of third party tools as well. Um, so yeah, I think those are the two kind of biggest factors right now. Yeah, this is great. And so, um, what does it look like now compared to maybe like three years ago trying yeah. to do serverless? You know, I started building on serverless, I think it was 2015. And if you look at the infrastructure that we had back then, it was, I would say, 80% functions. Uh, we were, you know, building, even though, you know, we, we were serverless, we were building a lot of things ourselves, kind of the undifferentiated value. But we kind of, if you look at our stack right now, or if you look at our users uh, like lambda isn't as big of a part of serverless anymore like the infrastructures also use uh, like a large variety of different managed services and i think we're seeing that that people are you know learning how to use you know sqs queues uh cognito all different types of services together in a meaningful way and uh i think that's that that's been a change but also like something that we've learned about the market that it's not just going to be another compute platform but to be this kind of a future where companies like build their infrastructures like a Lego uh, from like Lego blocks. Mm, yeah, this is great. Um, so one thing around that is I think you kind of got to it a little bit was um, the idea of like uh, serverless being Legos. Um, do you have a, a philosophy that you follow when you think about serverless? Do you follow the serverless first mentality type of thing? And and that's one point. And then the other one was I think you said that uh, companies are starting to look at uh, this as being like it's more than a compute platform. Um, that's really interesting. Could you talk on that a little bit more as well? Yeah. So, like, I think our philosophy and the kind of the large shift is that you're offloading all the undifferentiated value creation to the cloud providers. Essentially, what you're striving for is only focusing on the direct value to the customer in, like, you know, in what you actually code or build and everything else should be, you know, gotten from the, from AWS or from some other cloud provider. And uh, kind of, I think there's been a lot of kind of services launched in the last couple of years and people have really kind of adopted them as well. 
And and one thing that you mentioned before we started the podcast is that you're just giving a webinar. Obviously, it's it's late at night for all the listeners. Um, it is 9.30 p.m. for Tavi. Um, so thank you for being on again. Uh, and one thing that you mentioned was uh, it was on operational excellence uh, and what that looks like. Uh, sounds like for serverless. Could you talk a bit about operational excellence and what that means? Sure. So I think the... The challenge we see a lot of like you know companies facing is that uh, they went from kind of quite dense like you know containerized workloads into having hundreds or even thousands of cloud resources uh, across like you know ten different services uh, like Lambda, queues, APIs, different databases, and um, so you end up with hundreds or thousands of those resources and. All of those resources actually have a lot of outputs, like logs, uh, metrics, uh, tracing data. And uh, so on an operational standpoint, that creates a lot of challenge around understanding the activity in the first place, but also identifying failures or performance inefficiencies, uh, cost inefficiencies, and overall kind of keeping um, the, the best practices and you know security and all of those challenges kind of... Uh, like increase a lot like exponentially even uh, when you have so many moving parts and i think that's the challenge and kind of the essence of dashboard is to help companies overcome the challenge or provide the tools uh, for that fantastic yeah um what are some common serverless monitoring things that that every serverless application should use what would, what would be the the core ones that you kind of uh is it error rates for the 99 percent or what does that look like um, so what, you know, I think, the, well, the philosophy of dashboard is threefold. Um, so, and I think that aligns quite well, like kind of how we've thought about the problem is how we're trying to also build our platform. Um, so there's three things in my opinion. Uh, first is having the infrastructure to access that kind of large amounts of amount of data across all those resources or across regions, across different AWS accounts in a in an efficient and meaningful way. Uh, so that means being able to search query, to see dashboards, to, to bubble up like insights, um, to kind of detect anomalies. And kind of if you if you're dealing with a an environment with like thousands of resources, how do you kind of consume that data and kind of access that data? So the democratization of of the monitoring data is kind of one of the, the biggest challenges that I see. And so that's the first thing that, you know, we focus on. And I think, you know, most companies are focusing on the, the second part is basically what you mentioned, it's a failure detection. Um, so if you look at kind of the scenarios, you have uh, log events that indicate some sort of failures. Uh, you have metric uh, like metrics that you should be looking at and you have like configuration and tracing data as well uh, like each resource ha has a configuration that could indicate a problem or could like you know have a problem with it uh, so what we do is we automate uh, the log event listening so we use pre-built filters to detect uh, things like code exceptions timeouts configuration failures uh, across all of the resources, really. So uh, we're currently doing it for functions, but we're also moving into um, like everything basically that produces logs and is managed and kind of detecting things on the fly there. 
but we also you know, have this for metrics as well. So we automatically uh, configure metric alarms and check for conditions that are suboptimal. So those could include API error rates, uh, could be high delays in your queues, uh, things like that. Um, so the, that's kind of the second part is automating and kind of making the alerts dynamic and uh, really checking for unknown failures that you don't anticipate. Uh, the third is uh, the kind of, uh, you know, you, you have all of those best practices. You have uh, security best practices. You have the well-architected framework. And there's a lot of knowledge around, you know, how you should build serverless infrastructures. But also if you're a team that's, you know, uh, scaling with serverless or building on serverless, it takes really a lot of time and effort to actually um, build that deep know-how uh, of you know all the kind of ins and outs of uh, of different services and and also kind of the the mindset of of serverless as well. Um, so what we do is we have a collection of curated rules. We work together with the AWS Well Architected teams to actually continuously check your infrastructure for security issues, compliance issues. Um, if you know you can improve your performance in any way or if you have some redundancy that you can actually optimize costs so kind of this continuous best practices or a trusted advisor instrument so basically that's that's what we do and i think that's a relatively interesting approach to monitoring or operational excellence rather wow yeah that's um you articulated that really well, um, breaking it down like that in the three different care, like three different buckets. So thank you for that. I think the listeners are going to find that really, really interesting. Um, and it's cool to hear too that y'all are scanning and working with the well-architected teams at AWS to then understand security, compliance, performance, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's really cool to see. Um, and so I guess on this topic of dashboard, on the kind of what dashboard represents, um, what some of the beliefs are that you've touched, you touched on already. For those who don't know, potentially that haven't heard you talk about this, what would be kind of the story of how uh, Dashboard got founded and how you got involved in it? Uh, where did all this take place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So um, I'm obviously technical. I've been a developer since I was uh, <laughs> like 14 or 13, even, and uh, yeah, worked at multiple startups in Estonia before. Estonia has co- you know a really cool uh, startup landscape. Uh, Skype came from here, TransferWise uh, bought a lot of those kinds of companies that are quite successful right now. And uh, so when we were adopting serverless in 2015, uh, none of, like, you know, you, you didn't have any tools in the in the market. There was no third-party tooling. But also on AWS side, they were, it was kind of a science project. We didn't have a lot of, like, maturity around this technology. Uh, but we were... For some reason, uh, which I don't even remember anymore, we were like hell bent on using serverless for everything, <laughs> which which made like our team, which was like ten people at that time, to go through all of the challenges ourselves. Like we had our own internal version of the of the serverless framework that worked <laughs> exactly like the the real serverless framework that got launched like I think a year later. Uh, we had like <laughs> our own monitoring kind of tools and like CI CD pipelines that we were building and like we went through this massive learning curve. Um but actually, you know, that what that enabled us to to be is like in this 
production environment like with high load uh, with serverless in 2015 16 and uh, seeing all the all the challenges but also seeing how well it actually works and kind of that this is going to be the future um so that was kind of where we ended up in this place where we're like okay like you know we understand this we're ahead of the curve and there's an interesting opportunity here so i think it was about me 2017 when we started seriously working on it and uh, kind of the i think the week we put it live uh, 60 people joined <laughs> and kind of it got this kind of um, self uh, self uh, kind of an organic growth early on that people were kind of using it and coming back to it so we we saw that there was something there and uh, yeah i think initially the the thinking was that Okay, you have APMs for like, uh, you know, con to like Docker or containerized environments. Then you have something for Kubernetes. Uh, like the next logical step at that time seemed to be functions. Like it's going to be the next compute platform. But that was our thinking early on. Like, like that was the extent of the perception of the market at that point, that it's going to be another compute platform, but it's not going to be like a big shift. Uh, but later on, as we kind of, you know, had our first, I would say like 500 users and kind of constantly having those conversations, we started understanding that, okay, it's not actually the, the functions, but it's this whole kind of spectrum of different services that they are using. And the, you know, the overwhelming questions were around like, okay, you're, it's cool that you're doing functions, but kind of do those other things as well. And kind of that's when, uh, the idea evolved uh, the most. I think it was in the first you know, one and a half years. Wow! Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really cool. Um, and so when when y'all first saw this and you're working on a really cool project really early on, um, uh, there's it's something that I heard a long time ago. It's like when the learning curve is like the highest or something. It's like that's like if you do it right then at the beginning of it, you can end up seeing all the the future things. So it sounds like you kind of climbed that mountain when it was the tallest possible. And then went through all the process of learning those things and then got to see how, how the whole landscape would develop. So that's, that's really awesome. And the people that were on that project with you, did any of them come to Dashboard with you or did they start their own startups or how did that turn out? Yeah. So actually, uh, so me and the CTO are, uh, are from the same company. Me and Mark have, yeah, Mark's the CTO. We've been working together for seven years across, uh, three different startups. So yeah, rooted in that, uh, in the, in, in those companies. Yeah, and then to hear that, like week one, you had like sixty people join, and then organic growth. Um, when you when you were starting Dashboard, did you have like any outside funding initially, or did y'all just build it like as a side project and then kind of launch it to see what would happen? Uh, yeah, it was a complete. Uh, it, it was a side project, absolutely. Um, like we were, you know, really serious about it, but we didn't have any funding until like two thousand and eighteen April, I think. Yeah, so uh, it took us like half a year like we weren't even planning to to raise money for a long time uh but then it kind of you know you it, it made a lot of sense uh, we were getting customers who were kind of like struggling to build features and uh kind of the opportunity was obvious at that point so it, uh, it it made like perfect sense wow that's awesome cool and then and then i saw on their website that there's something like seven thousand accounts are now hooked up to dashboard yeah yeah, it's probably even more because we don't update it regularly. But <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And and so um, having having the ability to see how all these different people are constructing serverless applications and building these out, 
has that kind of changed the way that you've thought about serverless? I know you mentioned something earlier about it's more than just a compute platform now. We're seeing, you know, people are using all these other fully managed services. I think, you know, obviously from those 7,000 AWS accounts and uh, like even more people, there's different segments. Um, so I think hardcore serverless enthusiasts who build everything on serverless, there's a lot of people who are just learning or experimenting with it. There's uh, like hybrid environments. I think there's a lot of, has been a lot of hybrid environments. So you have like, you know, Kubernetes or ECS, and then you have, you have functions. I think the, the other kind of group that's interesting to us is like, you don't need to have uh, lambdas. Like you can use a different compute unit or, or platform, but still use the other managed services and kind of still struggle with it. Um, and like, I think if you're looking at like Fargate as well, like there's, you know, Lambda won't be the only compute platform of the future. There will be other use cases where it's not good and kind of, I think the, that will be diversified. But I think what's absolutely the kind of obvious trend is uh, using the managed services for, for you know, databases, queues, uh, everything like that. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, something that comes up in my mind when I think about uh, monitoring and things like this, um, obviously you've mentioned a few reasons why you should probably use Dashboard over using like the native AWS monitoring. Um, how do you think about that um, when talking to customers potentially about where the, the AWS native monitoring will get you you know, this far, but then Dashboard kind of takes you further? Or how does that look? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think AWS is doing quite, quite well with their monitoring solutions. Um, like the way, the way we see that is that they, it's really hard for them to build like specialist tools because, you know, if you look at services like CloudWatch, every service connects to CloudWatch. It, it emits their, you know, metrics into CloudWatch and uh, to logs as well, or like logs can go also into S3 or, or like, you know, wherever. But the, um, so it's hard to build something specific for serverless. So it's kind of like buckets of metrics and buckets of logs and buckets of tracing data that's not really being analyzed and made accessible in a meaningful way. Like the, the, there's also, I think the, you know, one of the fundamental problems with, with logs is that, um, you know, you have on, on the one end of the spectrum, you have like services like Elastic. Uh, or kind of log analytics services that keep the logs indexed and really like, you know, like hot storage. And on the other hand, you have like uh, CloudWatch and you have S3 with, where, the you know, it's not indexed and it's not as searchable as as easily and like responsively and you can't like build complex queries because it's basically cold storage. Um, but for, and like the problem for managed services is that there's just like so much data that it's, financially unreasonable to keep it in a hot environment. So you kind of need to do some sort of a, an in-between solution where you kind of curate what you're actually storing and what you're not storing. So I think there's a lot of like fundamental challenges with um, like general tools to and like them being a fit for, for managed services. And there's a lot of different obstacles to overcome. Uh, so that's one part and kind of one fundamental challenge that I see. The other is uh, even if you have those logs and you have metrics and you kind of, you know, have access to that data uh, continuously running or checking that data for, for like insights that you should be getting 
um, is a different story as well. So that's why we kind of automate the alert coverage and kind of try to, you know, dynamically manage alarms across, across that infrastructure and kind of run, you know, our own checks against that data to, to understand actually if, if there's something you should be paying attention or not. Um, so we kind of sit on top of those services instead of competing with them. And I think if you have a small scale service, you can actually do quite well with, with Cloudwatch. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. That was cool. Like, um, I've, I've often thought about this question, but this is the first time I feel like it kind of got peeled back to say like, um, you know, AWS is like, it's got like large buckets for metrics and logging and it's kind of like cold storage. It's not indexed. And then that, that makes perfect sense, uh, that, you know, other, other product solutions can build on top of it, create, you know, hot storage, indexing, all those things for you. Um, and so then you have the benefit of, uh, of being able to quickly see it and see it bubble up and surface, uh, and go from there. So yeah, so I really appreciate that, that very detailed breakdown. That's awesome. Um, and so uh, it's coming across to me that you're the person to talk to <laughs> about any monitoring or observability questions that might come up in the future. So if anybody listening is uh, curious about anything around serverless monitoring or, or observability, definitely hit up Toby. Um, and I'll give you a chance to shout out your your Twitter handle towards the end as well. And so uh, thinking about this and like I'm using Dashboard, um, I'm trying to you know make sure that my team is aware of different things that are happening. Uh, are there integrations that you all have with the platform that go to like Slack or email? And, and have you found a certain medium that works best for uh, teams? And, and what does that look like? Um, yeah, so we do integrate with Slack and email and uh, webhooks and SNS triggers as well. Uh, so the overwhelming majority uses Slack. I think it's the tool of choice for a lot of teams. Uh, Microsoft Teams is also being demanded. We're adding that integration soon. So yeah, I think, you know, Another thing is Chira, which we're looking into. Uh, quite a lot of requests for that as well recently. So yeah, I think you know the the it's really important to have integrations because you know Google's SRE handbook, for instance, says that over seventy percent of the use cases where people use a monitoring solution actually start with some sort of an alert going uh, into email or Slack or whenever, and then they actually click on it and end up in your application. So it's really important to you you know to integrate with whatever the developers are using. Gotcha. And and uh, this is another question based on that is um, when it comes to thinking about like all this data and all the potential things that you can monitor for, um, at some point, right, it probably comes down to like good monitoring and, and making sure that you're not monitoring too many things that don't actually have any effect. Um, is there, is there, like, what, how would you approach that problem of, like, uh, of potentially too much alerts, too much data coming through? Uh, I've had an e I've had emails before where I've gotten 10, 20 emails about things. Um, and are there critical ones that you should follow? And is there a, is there a philosophy that maybe you follow to say this, this is a good metric that we should have alerts for and this isn't? Uh, yeah, that's an excellent question, actually. So, um, with, um, like, you know, alert fatigue is, is a big problem. So if you get, you know, overwhelming amounts of alerts all the time, then what happens is that you don't pay attention to any of them, which means that the important ones can actually slip, um, slip through. What I recommend is identify, like, you know, if you're going back into the infrastructure diagram, 
you're looking at your infrastructure, like what are the, um, you know, for, for, for instance, if you have an API, uh, then only monitor the API endpoints for uh, long latency and like error rates. And so if those two are fine, then you probably don't have a problem. But if there's a problem with those, uh, then um, you should get an alarm, but you shouldn't get an alarm you know, if, if a downstream service uh, fails, for example, or, you know, that, that's one place to, to start is to identify the ones that, you know, would directly affect the user and, uh, you know, only monitor those. And being explicit with those uh, alarms is also quite good. So basically that the notion that if anything ends up as an alarm into your email, then you should react to that. So it shouldn't be like, oh, like, this is an alarm, but I'm not actually going to react. So you, you should be like really um, strict that only the kind of alarms that you, you actually are going to react to should end up in your inbox. Uh, for other things like, you know, uh, for instance, if you connect dashboard right now, you will have hundreds of different kind of actionable stuff to, to actually change. So obviously those should not end up in your inbox. They should be you know, aggregated into reports or, or lists or, or, or something else that you can look at if you want or, or not. I think I think something there was, uh, I, I believe you said, uh, when you get an overwhelming amount of alerts, you get alert fatigue mm-hmm. um, and an important one slips through. And, and I think that this, it's uh, completely unrelated, but it feels like this is with all things almost now in like this digital age that we're in with like messages and emails and even pinging people on Slack. It's like, if you if you overuse, uh, you know, at notifications or at here thing, people end up just ignoring them, and then a fire happens, and you know nobody pays attention. So um, that's that's really insightful that that happens as well with with these alarms. Um, awesome. And so uh, kind of moving forward on that topic, thinking more broadly about serverless and about monitoring and observability and what the what that looks like in the future. How do you see how do you see this changing? Um, as we look out towards like maybe like 2023 um, and start working towards that. So, I, you know, how I see the, the future for for really the cloud and also for, for us is uh, that in the, you know, in the, in the future, more and more people will use um, like infrastructure as a service and kind of really start neglecting like, you know, uh, managing their own infrastructure and things like that. And now it, it, it won't just be AWS. Like I think in the future you will have like, you know, OutZero, Twilio or whatever, like a combination of a wide variety of, of managed services that you will use. And I think there's this notion of observability, which like the, the term itself means that uh, you should be able to tell the internal state of the system by looking at the external outputs of that system. And uh, so I think all of the services of the future will kind of follow that paradigm. So you don't need to attach any agents or any runtime things to that. It will just kind of, you know, produce all the data for you to understand um, the or have the ability to understand the internal state of all of those components. And kind of where we see dashboard and kind of the monitoring, uh, moving is, um, you know, obviously providing all of that infrastructure and connecting with those services, uh, but not just like 
displaying the data, but transforming that data into meaningful information. So if you're, you know, if you're looking at metric data or load data or like a managed MongoDB cluster, <laughs> for example, or like an OCRO integration or whatever, uh, then it can actually, you know, the monitoring platform should first centralize that across all the different um, managed services and then transform that data into a meaningful kind of standard that helps you understand, you know, what you can do to make it better, where the failures are, and kind of understand the activity. Uh, so I think it's the abstraction layer of that output data um, that's being like visualized in, a, in an understandable way. So that, <laughs> that's like a rant, but that's how I see uh, the future. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Um, it's cool to hear that, you know, like if you think about the layers of like where we are, uh, potentially sounding like where dashboard is, it's like you're centralizing this data, working on that or already at that point. And then now thinking about how do, how do you give meaningful things, meaningful things back to the user to say like, Hey, you know, this is, this is a lambda function. It's performance is slow. Here's what you can do to actually yeah. fix that problem mm-hmm. and having enough data and insight that you can actually do that. Um, and then all the possibilities that I, that opens up in the future sounds really yeah. exciting. Yeah, I think like it plays into that notion that developers should focus only on the customer and creating differentiated value. <laughs> uh, so I think the you know the operational side should also be like is undifferentiated. So you know so somebody should take care of that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I, I think that you know that's kind of a great way to close it out with talking about the future, um, what that looks like. So uh, for those listening, uh, how can people get a hold of you? And do you have anything coming up that you would want to shout out or promote? Yeah, I think you can uh, hit me up at Twitter, uh, at Rehemagi is the handler, uh, or Tavi at dashboard.io. Um, we have uh, like quite a lot of things <laughs> always coming out. So, you know, we're integrating with new services basically every month and, you know, adding more exciting stuff. I think, you know, the, yeah, I think the, the thing coming in, in October will be that, you know, the support for basically everything that logs in AWS and kind of the, you know, filtering for that. I think that will be quite exciting and kind of will open up a lot of possibilities, um, for, yeah, kind of more detailed monitoring of different services. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that does it. Um, thanks again for being on the podcast, Javi. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Thank you for in- inviting me. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation with you. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. So for those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless podcast with Brian Jones. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out TalkingServerless.io or please leave, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another uh, fantastic serverless guest. Thanks so much.